Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And this week, Eric, we're talking about Franz Schrecker's Die Gesegneten, Die Stigmatized. Say that five times fast. <laughs> <laughs> Which debuted in 1918, I believe, in Frankfurt. Right. Not a title we hear a lot for lots of various reasons that we'll go into. Franz Schrecker was, he was actually born in Monaco. But his father was Bohemian and his mother was from Austria and he was raised in Austria. His father was Jewish and his mother was Catholic. And that, of course, would have ramifications a little bit later in his life because he was one of those composers that was suppressed by the Nazis in the 1930s. Exactly. And we can talk about that a little bit later. But Die Gesechneten, he actually wrote the libretto for this as well, at the suggestion of Alexander Zemlinsky. Right, which is uh, perfectly appropriate for, for somebody who's considered sort of a post-Wagnerian, late romantic, uh, as he was, uh, as, as you'll hear when you hear the score, which is very lush. In fact, in his day, Schrecker was, he was a rival to Richard Strauss as being the preeminent composer of German opera. right. His heyday was in the 1920s, and I think he left eight or nine different operas. This one, it's set in 16th century Genoa, a sort of a mythical 16th century Genoa. Right, which is, which is odd to, to think of a, of, a, of a quintessentially German opera set in Italy. You don't see that very often. I guess it's a, a throwback to Simon Bocanegra. Right, there you go. <laughs> but the interesting thing is in the title character, you've got, you know, you've got Salvago, who is a hunchback, a, a deformed individual who is the Dikitzeichneten of the title. He's, the, he's stigmatized, outcast, branded. And you know, one of the first things he does is he renounces love. Well, where have we seen that before? Wagner's ring cycle. It's Albrecht. What is interesting here as well is that despite Aviano Salvago's deformities, he's wealthy. Yes. And he owns this island. Elysium. Which he calls Elysium, off the coast of Genoa. And he has turned this island into a place of pleasure. A paradise where he searches for a sort of a classical sense of beauty. Which makes up for the beauty, the love that he himself does not feel, Lacks. has not been able to feel on a personal level. Right. He has a group of friends, all these Genoese nobles that come over to the island and I can't imagine what goes on there, what went on there. But oh, they, sure you can. They, <laughs> <laughs> but what some of them have done under the leadership of Count Tamare is they have discovered on the island this secret grotto. And they have transformed it into a sort of place of orgies. They've been kidnapping the daughters, the wives and daughters of the, the nobles of Genoa, kidnapping them, bringing them over to the island, taking them to this grotto, and been engaging in these sort of wild orgies. And here again, we have other resonances, not to Wagner, but this time to Verdi. We have a hunchback title character surrounded by these dissolute noble, supposedly noble people who are carrying on in, in orgiastic excess. What is that but Rigoletto? That's Rigoletto, exactly. Yeah. Aviano learns of the existence of this secret grotto 
and is horrified by that sense of degeneration. The defiling of this place of beauty. Sacred place almost. Yes, exactly. And he decides that the only thing to do to stem that, to nip it in the bud, is to give the island to the people of Genoa. Turn it over, as it were. Right. And so he goes to see Duke Adorno and says, I want to give you this island. However, these dissolute noblemen are not too pleased at the idea of that because that puts a stop to their orgiastic excesses in the the grotto. That's right. There is a woman, a girl, Carlotta. Yes. Who is the daughter of the the Podesta, which is the chief magistrate of Genoa. And she is a painter of souls. And she has this sort of spiritualistic dimension to her. And she has her sights set on Alviano. She wants to paint his soul. Right. But he mistakes that as she, he thinks that she's in love with him. Because as he is sitting for her, he agrees to sit for her. And right. as he is sitting for her, she sort of seduces him in order f- to get him to expose his, to bear his soul so that she, she can, can paint, paint it. it. Right. And as you said, he misinterprets that. And he falls in love with her, and he actually goes so far as to ask her to marry him. Which, I'm sorry, this is just, (laughs) all these different references to different operas just keep popping up as we talk about this. This is Tales of Hoffman. This is Julieta in the Tales of Hoffman, who's trying to capture his soul in in his reflection. It's as if Schrecker has kind of, I don't want to say borrowed, but he's, he's referencing so many different predecessors in the operatic canon. It's It's fascinating. Count Tamari also has his eyes on Carlotta. He wants to conquer her. Yeah. But she's not interested because she's interested in Alviano. So Tamari is infuriated when Carlotta rejects him. And he goes to Adorno and he says, you know what? There's a secret grotto on the island. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and guess what happens there? Well, of course, that puts Adorno in a very difficult position because he doesn't want the people of Genoa to discover what is going on here on the island because of the outrage. Of course. So what we have then at the end of Act Two is Carlotta working her female charms on Alviano, him misinterpreting the signs, thinking that she is in love with him. In Act Three... It all comes to a head because the citizens of Genoa overrun the island. Take it over themselves. Alviano asks the Podesta for Carlotta's hand in marriage, but she's not interested not now. Not anymore. She's got his picture completed. She's got what she wanted. She's moved so on. So long. <laughs> she wanders off into the grotto, and Tamari works his magic, quote-unquote, on her. Mm. He seduces her and the Duke accuses Alviano of masterminding all of this, the, the abductions and the orgies, etc., which must be incredibly offensive to Alviano because someone who's a who is as, as pure of motive as he as he is. Because he saw that island as a celebration of beauty. He goes down into the grotto and sees Carlotta lying out of it on this bed, Tamari standing over her, 
and is very proud of himself for what he has been able to do to Carlotta. Right. Alviano is so incensed, he stabs Tamari and kills him. Then, I know what you're going to say now, Eric. What am I going to say? Carlotta wakes up. Alviano rushes to her and with her dying breath pronounces the name of Tamari. Tamari. She calls for Tamari. I mean, I'm thinking of Romeo and Juliet. Mm. Suddenly she wakes up and the person she's looking for is dead. Right. What happens then is she dies. Yeah. And Alviano has got nothing left. He's broken. He's broken. And he stumbles over Tamari's body as he makes his way through the stunned crowd and leaves. And that's the end of the opera. We don't know what happens. Well, isn't that charming? (laughs) (laughs) So we have lots of orgies here. It'd make a great pairing with Elixir of Love or something, you know? (laughs) My goodness. No, I mean... What is interesting is that (laughs) Shreka here is, is sort of musing on... It's this whole fin de siècle. Vienna, which is where he's he's writing this. And it's a, a comment in some respects on the society around him that has become, uh, I want to say, degenerate. Degenerate, mm-hmm. yeah. But you know, we're, we're in the first years, the first decades of the 20th century. And this opera is, a, in many respects, a reflection on the larger society. Mm-hmm. And the excesses that would come, you know, even in the next decade. The irony here is that, as we alluded to at the beginning, Schrecker's music was suppressed by the Nazis in the uh, the early 1930s with the, the rise of National Socialism, the rise of Hitler, the rise of the Third Reich. There was this whole idea of entartete music. Right. Which is Eric... Help me out here. Entata to music. <laughs> Condemned band music. Uh, band art. Degenerate music. Degenerate art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This degenerate music, the Nazis were sort of banning this music for, for many reasons. It was music that they thought was antithetical to the society that they were trying to set up. They banned the music of Jewish composers. Yeah. And, of course, Schrecker's father being Jewish you know, they had their sights, the Nazis had their sights set on Schrecker. They also banned music written by composers who did not share the same belief as the Nazis. They also banned jazz because of its association with African Americans. There is, again, that racism yeah. in there. And it wasn't just Schrecker whose music was, was banned, but, but oh, all, no, all those people... Great- like Schoenberg and Webern, uh, the second Viennese school, because their music, it went against the traditions of Germanic classical music that the Nazis were so intent on um, lauding. Which is funny because they're basically extensions of what Wagner started, which, which was, I mean, Wagner was embraced by the Nazis. And that, I mean, you know, starting with Tristan or Isolde and that exploration of chromaticism, that's what, you know, sort of led on that that direction toward the second Viennese school. And, and Schrecker was seen as the, the sort of the successor to Wagner in terms of German opera. Right. And, and you know, the thing is, though, that the second Viennese school, those are, the, those are the ones that survived the Holocaust, and they're the ones that were allowed to dominate the post-war period. 
as opposed to folks like Schrecker and folks like Victor Ullmann, who, whose careers did not survive, and some of the composers themselves did not survive. The reason that this opera is sort of seeing something of a resurgence today is because of uh, several recent productions, but specifically James Conlon and a 2010 production at L.A. Opera. Well, he's been championing these composers. It's become a, a mission for him. I, I had the, the privilege of getting to talk to him back in 2006. He did Victor Ullmann's uh, The Emperor of, of Atlantis here in Houston, which is another of, of the Entente de Musique pieces that he's championed. His whole point was that you had this great tradition of Germanic music that was uninterrupted for centuries, beginning, you know, all the way back to J.S. Bach and going forward up until you get to the Holocaust. And then through, you know, one of the, the most horrific, you know, periods in human history, these composers were silenced. And the ones that survived were the second Viennese school who were, you know, basically allowed the playing field all to themselves. Who knows what might have happened had folks like uh, Schrecker and Ullmann been allowed to flourish and their careers allowed to continue un unabated. You know, there were some that, that, you know, like Eric Wolfgang Korngold fled to Hollywood, and that's where his career went. But he didn't really, his, his opera career and his serious classical music career was pretty much over, you know, left behind. Right. And in the case of Franz Schrecker, he was not interned. He was right. not a victim of the Holocaust. Right. But what happened with him was that with the rise of the Nazis, and the suppression of his music, he also lost his teaching posts. Mm -hmm. And it became so much more difficult for him to make a living. Right. So much so that it took a toll on him, the stress, etc., and, and it killed him. He died in 1934, two days before his 56th birthday. Oh, my. Well, and, and James Conlon's whole point was that we think that we know the totality of 20th century music, and we don't. There's a big gaping hole right there between 1933 and 1945 when composers like you know Franz Schrecker they were they were silenced and what they were doing was very different than what the second Viennese composers were doing obviously you know throughout the, the 1920s and the 30s music was evolving and Schrecker was coming out of that that late romantic tradition mm -hmm. you know following on from Wagner and Richard Strauss, etc. In fact, I came across this quote from a, a critic in writing in the New York Times. Uh, he says, talking about Schrecker, but unlike his fellow Viennese composers, Schrecker never expelled himself from the garden of tonality. His lush and sensuous musical language was built on extensions of a late romantic grammar. He was, in other words, the rarest of musical creatures, a modernist, who never got the memo on grim austerity, a progressive <laughs> composer who forgot that ornament was crime. <laughs> so in some respects... Well said. It was also that he was not part of that new, that second Viennese school. That was not him. Mm -hmm. And as you said, after the war, that was the dominant music that was coming out of Central Europe. Because of, a, of an artificially produced music scene because these folks were silenced. They weren't given the chance to compete, so to speak. So back to the opera, 
die Gesegneten. We have this rediscovered masterpiece. In fact, James Conlon's project is called Recovered Voices. Right. And you hear this music, it's lush. It draws you in. But there is this sort of very modernist sense of a, a critique of, of contemporary society. Right. Which is the other reason why James Conlon is so passionate about this. It's partly because he wants to shed a light on that gaping hole and show us what actually was there. From a moral perspective. From a moral perspective. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, he believes very passionately that these works are great, that these are amazing works, and that they have something to say to us, and they, and they have a lot of, uh, well, important things to say, but at the same time, the music is, as you say, it's lush, it's romantic, it, it envelops you, and, and you, you sort of bathe in it, you know? It's, it's so rich and luxurious. And as I think we've tried to point out, this is a piece that very much comes out of the operatic tradition. Boy, howdy. <laughs> exactly. But because of moral, historical, and artistic considerations, this is music that deserves to be heard. Exactly. Franz Schrecker's Die Gezeichneten, The Stigmatized. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.